Good morning, church. I've been ensnared. All right, there we go. Good to see you all. Good to be with you. Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1, we are looking, or I mean working our way through Philippians 1, verses 3 through 8. And we come now to verse 6, as Jacob said. One of the most beloved and probably well-known verses in our New Testament. So a great verse for us to say today. I am excited to preach it. The title of my sermon is The Joy of Anticipating. The Joy of Anticipating. I invite you to follow along as I read Philippians 1, verses 3 through 8. This is the Word of God. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affections of Christ Jesus. May the Lord bless the preaching and the believing of his word. This last week, your pastors met for our monthly meeting, and uh, we had a great time together. Uh, we enjoy being together. We enjoy planning the things of God together. We enjoy making fun of one another, uh, kind of relentlessly. We enjoy serving all of you. It's a great privilege for us to be able to do that uh, all the time. We love doing that. And during that meeting, I took some time to recount for the guys some of the things that God did in our midst in 2021. Some of the things that we can be thankful for in this church. So here are some of the things that I listed. Now, God led us in 2021 to serving others through the construction of the new patio space out there where we can fellowship and to the new entry out there with the ramp that can serve those who are handicapped. God taught us about fatherhood through our study this last summer, one where many of you expressed how God was working in your families and in your lives through that study. God also taught us about discipleship through our study of the Sermon on the Mount. 31 sermons working through the Sermon on the Mount. And, and then in that study, God taught us significantly about how to pray together as a church. In response to that, we began our corporate prayer meetings where we have had 30 or so people gather every month to pray for this church and for the mission of this church. In 2021, God, God added to our leadership here. We had Jacob's ordination this past Sunday, or past Sunday, past January, uh, a year ago, and a momentous day in the life of our church. And also, God added to our number as we sent Merrick to the pastor's college to study pastoral ministry and to hopefully, Lord willing, come back and join the team here. God also taught us to rest in him 
in 2021 as we sent Bert away on sabbatical, trusting that God would meet our needs with one of our pastors away for a couple of months. God led us into mission this past year. He took Bert to Brazil where he cared for sister churches. He sent me to teach at our pastor's college in Ethiopia. He led Ellie Wilson on an overseas mission trip and he took Emily Jones down to Mexico. And finally, God grew us in love this past year through the season of COVID. He helped us to overcome our differences and to respect each other's consciences. God did so much in 2021 that we have to be thankful for. So much that God was doing, and we have good reason to be excited for what he's going to do in 2022. We have our women's retreat coming up in March. Already I'm hearing so many of you ladies talk about your excitement to get away from your children and your, I mean, from your, uh, you know, it, to get away together as women in the Lord. Yes, and we are going to be, you guys are going to be sending me away in faith uh, on our sabbatical, me and my family, and so we're excited. We're looking forward to that and grateful for your faith. Uh, Merrick's going to be returning from the pastor's college and we'll be welcoming him on staff. Bert plans to travel to Brazil again. I to go to Ethiopia and teach there again. And, and I'm also really excited about this. God has started to give us as a leadership team a vision for a kind of model of discipleship and care here. And so the pastors are working on this right now. We're looking forward to present it to you later. But we want to show you how we believe God has given us this vision for how we are to grow as a church in Jesus Christ and how we are to better care for each other through seasons of struggling. We also feel like God is telling us that this fall should be the start of our offering discipleship classes on a regular and rotating basis. So many of you know we've offered discipleship classes and training sporadically before, and, and, but we are determined by God's leading to start doing it on a regular basis this fall, and so we're beginning to prepare classes on marriage, on parenting, on practicing the spiritual disciplines, on fighting sin, on stewarding your finances, on dealing with anxiety, on battling anger, on sharing your faith, uh, we want to equip and grow as disciples of Jesus Christ here. And then finally, and even more directly to today, we believe it was God who led us to prepare for the future by starting this building fund that we we're focused on lately. Uh, like the ant in Proverbs, we are working and saving today for a time of need in the future. And who knows when that need may arise? Who knows when that day may come? Uh, actually, right now, we just recently at that elders meeting looked at two potential buildings uh, that might fit our profile. Um, they're actually, they are on the expensive side, and so God would have to help us, uh, but they're right in Fairlawn, and so they're kind of ideally placed in many ways for our congregation, and even though they need some work, and they would cost a lot. They are big enough for all of us. And so we're looking into it. We're praying about it. If it could pan out in any way, we'll rush to tell you all about it, believe me. But the point is, as we believe God led us down this path and we know he's going to provide at some point for us. So there is a lot that God has done in our midst and there is a lot that we believe he is leading us into. So many good things to be thankful for. So many good things to be excited about. And yet in all of this, we have to be careful that we don't make a mistake. A really common and easy mistake 
it's actually a very dangerous mistake that unfortunately many churches make. It's the mistake of shifting our confidence off of God and to the things that we do. I want to ask you to give yourself, Jacob gave you a quiz, I'm going to give you a quiz. It's a self quiz and you get to grade yourself, okay? You don't have to submit it to your spouse or to your pastors, just to yourself. But answer honestly here, not what you believe is right, but what you functionally believe. Where does your confidence in our future fruitfulness lie? What is your confidence in our future fruitfulness? What's it grounded in? Because where your confidence is, what it's placed in, that's what your hope rests in, and that's where your joy is. We have good reason to be confident in the future fruitfulness of this church, but it is so easy to shift that confidence into things like the leadership of this church, the fellowship and care of this church, the organization of this church, the healthy finances of this church, a growing building fund with the prospects of a larger facility. These are all things that we can be grateful for and things that we can be excited about, things that we can thank God for and that should stir our joy. And, yes, and yet we must be on guard against the subtle temptation to shift our confidence onto any one of these things rather than on the God who produces these things. In our passage today, Paul wants to direct our confidence to the one place, the one person where it ought to be founded upon. He was very confident for the future fruitfulness of the church in Philippi. He was absolutely certain, but the source of his confidence was never their pastors or their programs or their prosperity. The source of his confidence was always the sovereign activity of our gracious God. Paul's confidence did not lie upon things like his calling or his gifting, his labor, his experience leading and caring for other churches, all of which were important, all of which mattered, all of which God would use. It all made a difference, and yet none of it was ultimately decisive. If you were to interview Paul and asked him where his confidence lie in the future fruitfulness of this church in Philippi, I believe his answer would have been immediate, it would have been clear, it would have been sufficient. He would say, my confidence is squarely set upon the sovereign activity of our gracious God. That's where it lies and nowhere else. And Paul clearly states that right in our verse, verse six. He says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul is sure of it. The word he uses is pietho. It means to be persuaded or to be confident or to be absolutely convinced of something. And Paul is saying, I am absolutely convinced of this. Absolutely convinced of this thing. I'm sure of it. What, Paul? That he who began a good work in you, a noble work, a generous work, an excellent
excellent work. God began it and God will bring it to completion. That's what I'm convinced of, Paul is saying. My enduring confidence is in the sovereign work of our gracious God. If you remember, Paul was writing this from within prison. Uh, actually, he was in chains, chains for the gospel. He didn't know if he was going to get out of this situation alive. Paul was in a desperate situation, and yet he remained confident for the church in Philippi. He was absolutely certain in their future fruitfulness, and that, 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 that confidence was rooted in, I loved what one theologian called it, the very godness of God the very godness of God, the sovereign activity of our gracious God. So with our time here this morning, what's left with us, what we want to do is look more closely at what this gracious and sovereign work of God produced in Philippi and consider its relevance for us. And as we do, we're going to see three things. God's gracious and sovereign activity creates or produces... First, partnership. First, partnership. When Paul thinks of the Philippians, and when Paul prays for the Philippians, he always begins with an expression of gratefulness to God. This is what verses one and two, or two and three tell us here. And his prayer is always characterized by joy, and he's very clear why, verse five, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So they were partners with Paul in the advance of the gospel. They were participating with him in the spread of the good news of Jesus Christ. And we studied this last week, and so I'm not going to re-pick up this verse and this topic too much today, uh, except I need to bring it back up. I have to rise it to the top because this idea of partnership that God creates in our midst is right in the forefront of Paul's thinking in verse 6. I said earlier that verse 6 is probably the most well-known and most beloved verse is one of them in the New Testament uh, because it gives us such personal assurance. Uh, Kent Hughes, in his commentary on this passage, tells us of how over 50 years ago, when he was a 12-year-old child, on the day he was converted, that night he was reading his Bible by flashlight, I love this picture. A little 12-year-old kid comes to Jesus. Man, all of a sudden, 12-year-old heart is just in love with the Lord, and he wants to read the Bible late into the night. He's reading the Bible by his flashlight, and he says he read this first, and he took up his red pencil, and he underlined it in his Bible. The first verse that he underlined as a Christian. I mean, what a verse to underline on your first day as a Christian. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Mr. Hugh describes following his sleep that night, uh, secure in the astonishing thought that what God had begun in him that day, God would continue until the final day. That is an excellent thought and a wonderful verse for every Christian to hold on to. And he explains, I was right to do so. I was right to underline it. I was right to take this assurance, though, after 50 years reflection and study, he realizes, though my assurance was embedded in a larger promise. In context, Paul was assuring the Philippians that the work God had begun in them was their fellowship in the gospel. 
which would be brought to a glorious consummation when Christ returns. Though Paul was in prison, he was absolutely confident that the good work of their gospel partnership would succeed gloriously. So here Mr. Hughes Hughes helps us to see the larger context of verse 6 usually is interpreted as the basis for our own personal confidence, our own individual assurance. God has begun a good work of salvation in me, and he will complete that good work in me. And that's right. That is true. We can take that assurance from this verse. But it is embedded, this personal insurance is embedded in a larger context where there is a corporate assurance that is being given. That individualistic application could miss the connection Paul is making that the good work God began is not just your individual salvation, but a cooperation, a partnership in the gospel that he formed by bringing Christians together. The good and noble work God began in them wasn't just their personal salvation. It was that, but more than that, it was their partnership in the gospel. God saved them, brought them together to put them on a mission together to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's gracious and sovereign activity had produced in Philippi not just individual Christians, but a church that was passionate about the gospel. God's work created a church that was passionate about the gospel, committed to the gospel, and committed to the advance of the gospel. And it was a church, as we studied a couple weeks ago, that was glad to sacrifice for the advance of the gospel. You see, friends, the reception of the gospel is never just a private event. It's never just a private matter. It's like we said last week, people who have been transformed by the gospel long to see others transformed by the gospel. (laughs) Man, when our hearts are opened up for the Lord, when we love God, when he ignites joy and love and hope in our hearts, when he starts getting us down the path of godliness, we just think, well, man, we gotta get other people in on this. When we have the hope of eternal life, when we realize we've been saved from hell, we think, man, we gotta get other people in on this. Churches that get the gospel don't just want to gather to celebrate the gospel Sunday after Sunday. They want to do that, but they also want to advance the gospel, and they will gladly sacrifice to do so. Now today at our church, in our church, today is Giving Sunday. It's Commitment Sunday for our building fund. And if I was to give just one reason, if you made me, just nail it down, Jace, give me one, one reason why we are saving for a bigger bill. Why are we doing this? Well, that one reason, that one reason would be to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we're doing this, folks. That's why we're doing it. Not just to make a nicer place, not just to get me more bookshelves for my books, so that'll be nice. Not to get us a lobby with a you know, latte machine and coffee out there and all that stuff. You know, whatever the Lord blesses us with, great. But you know what we're doing? We're doing it because we want to see the advance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we want to see people saved. We want to see the good news of Jesus Christ preached and proclaimed to as many people as we can. We want to see it displayed in this region, in this community, in this world. We want to make disciples of Jesus Christ. We want to go on our mission. 
This is what God's sovereign activity does in the life of a church. It did it in the church of Philippi. It created a partnership among that church that with Paul wanted to passionately advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And friends, that is the exact same thing happened here. In 1984, God brought a lot of Christians passionate about the gospel together to form this church that would be passionate about the advance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for 38 years, that's what we've been doing. For 38 years, we've been advancing this mission bit by bit, piece by piece, mile by mile, because that's what we're about here the advance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for 38 years, you all have been making sacrifices for the advance of that gospel, and we want to be willing to make sacrifices for that advance for the next 38 years and longer. Listen, you, I trust you know this. We could just settle in here. I mean, we could just stay comfortably in this building that we know, maybe fill it out by God's grace and then be done. And we could celebrate the gospel here, have great Sunday services. And the Lord knows there's plenty of work to do in the midst of us, right? Like we, we have things we need to work on. We could stay busy. We could settle in. If, if there wasn't just one little thing, if there, were just, if there just wasn't one little thing that we're passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's the love of Christ that compels us. There's no way we can settle in here because God has begun a good work in our midst, a partnership in the gospel, and it's gonna continue that good work until the day of Jesus Christ. So there is no settling in. Listen, if God gives us a new building, there's not gonna be any settling in. There's gonna be the hard work of working a larger field and planting more churches. There's no settling in with the gospel. You can settle in when you get to heaven. God's gone to prepare a place for you there. Settle there. Right now, work. That's what we do. We're in the fields. And we're workers of the fields. That's what we're about here. And so, that is what we need to see as we look at this passage. The sovereign, gracious work of our God has formed a partnership in our midst. And we want to see it continue. We want to see it sojourn on. We want to see it move forward. That's the first thing it has done. The second thing is this. Second thing God's gracious and sovereign activity produces is confidence. It produces a partnership and it produces confidence. Verse six, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Remember where Paul was again when he wrote this. Paul was in prison. Paul was in chains for the gospel, and he did not know if he would get out of that situation alive. So Paul was in a desperate situation. He couldn't get to the Philippians when they were having some troubles, when they needed his help, and yet Paul had every confidence of the Philippians' future fruitfulness. And here's why he had confidence. Here's why he could say, I am sure of this. Here's why. Because what God begins, God finishes. Because what God starts, 
he completes. Because what God inaugurates, he perfects. This was true for the Philippians and it is true for every Christian. So listen, whether your conversion was an apparently quiet one, like Lydia's we studied a few weeks ago, where the Lord just simply opened her heart to hear the gospel. Or whether your conversion was a dramatic one, like the Philippian jailer we studied a few weeks ago, earth-shaking, life-changing conversion. Whichever it was, here's what every true conversion shares in common. Here's what everyone has in common. They share at least two things. First, we were all dead in our sins. We're all dead in our transgressions. Doesn't matter if it was quiet sin or dramatic sin, we were all dead in our sin. In his song, Remember Me, Andrew Peterson sings the following lines. Who can, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? The one who utters no untrue word, whose hands are clean, whose heart is pure, who can ascend that hill? There is none righteous, no, not one. We are prodigal daughters and wayward sons. We don't know the half of the hurt we've done, the countless we have killed. Our priests are cheats, our prophets are liars. We know what the law requires, but we pile our sins up higher and higher. Who can ascend that hill? And I am a sheep who has gone astray. I have turned aside to my own way. Have mercy on me, son of David. That's each of us. That's each one of us before we're saved. Quiet or dramatic, doesn't matter. We all share in this together. Our hands are unclean, our hearts are impure. We're prodigal daughters and wayward sons. We don't know the half of the hurt we've done. Knowing what the law requires, still we piled our sins up higher and higher. We're sheep who have gone astray, each of us our own way. You know, we shared in common a desperate mercy that we needed from God. The first thing we all share in common is that sin killed us and we were in desperate need for the mercy of God. But the second thing we share in common is the gift of God in sending his son to save us. Andrew Peterson continues in the same song. He says, now hear the voice of the word became man, the spotless sacrificial lamb. A body you gave me, here I am. I have come to do your will. And no one takes my life, you see. I lay it down now willingly, and I will draw all men to me when I ascend that hill. On Sunday, you came as a king. On Monday, washed the temple clean. On Tuesday, you told of what will be. On Wednesday, you waited patiently. On Thursday, you said it's time. I'll drink this cup, because it is mine. On Friday, Lord, you poured the wine. Friends, it was the mercy and the love of God that sent Jesus Christ to ascend that hill and suffer on it for us, to pour out his life in our place, suffering the punishment we deserve so that even when we were all dead in our trespasses, we could be made alive together with Christ Jesus our Lord. It is the grace of God that saves us, the sovereign grace of God. It is he who began the work of salvation in us, and we can be sure of this, that what God begins, God finishes. 
we can be certain that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion at the last day of Jesus Christ. He will finish his work in us, and what a promise that is for us to hold on to. He will bring it to its completed end. He will bring it to its goal. He will bring us to the finished work that he began in us. It's an incredible promise for us to hold on to. It reminds me of, a, of an artist studio. If you ever, some of you are artists, you know what I'm about, you know, this, this will resonate with you. Others of you I think can appreciate it. If you ever go to an artist's studios, if you ever visit one, what you see there are all these unfinished works. Things begun that circumstances you know, interrupt and they don't get to finish it, or they lose their inspiration or whatever happens, and so something happens and there's, well, artist, am I right? I see some artists, yeah, some of you are like, yeah, okay, good, I'm not making this up. So <clears throat> there's a famous painting you may have heard of, it's called The Treaty of Paris. I have a picture of it here for you. It's a portrait that was commissioned to celebrate uh, the treaty that ended the Revolutionary War, right? So where we signed the, the treaty with the British uh, in Paris, thus the Treaty of Paris. And, and the artist, Benjamin West, he did his best. He painted the American delegation with Benjamin Franklin, John Adams, and others there. But he could not complete the work because the British, who had agreed to sit for the painting, changed their mind and, and, and decided no, it's too humiliating, we just can't do it. And so they would never sit down for the painting, no matter how many times they applied for them to do so, appealed for them to do so, uh, the British were just sore losers, and so they just couldn't do it. Now, actually, John Adams really liked this about the painting. He thought that was hilarious that the British just couldn't, you know, humble themselves enough to do it. So he took the painting as is and hung it in his house as his proud boast of American victory over the British who would not humble themselves for a painting. But the point is Benjamin West was unable to complete his portrait and every artist I've ever spoken to has creative works that are unfinished, lying around unfinished. Every creator leaves work unfinished except the creator. He never leaves his jobs undone. God does not start things that he does not finish. There are no circumstances that interrupt his work. There is nothing about him losing his inspiration. You can be sure of this. What God begins, God finishes. God is the source of all our confidence, and friends, this confidence, oh my goodness, it makes all the difference in the world. This awareness of the gracious and sovereign work of God in our lives, of his settled purpose for your life, it gives us such confidence. For instance, it gives us confidence in our fight against sin. Man, if you are here today weary in your fight against sin, weary against your fight in sin general or some besetting sin in particular, receive in your heart today, fresh confidence. I mean, have you experienced that? The mounting sin in your face, and yet the promise of God at your back. That the good work he has begun into you will be brought to completion. You can be sure of it. Ultimately, this sin will not get the upper hand on you. God's purposes will triumph in the end. 
God is the source of all our confidence, and this confidence makes all the difference in our fight against sin, makes all the, uh, the confidence in our enduring suffering and trials. To quote another Andrew Peterson song, this life is the dark before the dawn. It's the cold before the warm, the tears before the song. This is the dark before the dawn, and sometimes all we see is the darkness. Sometimes all we see is the darkness. But friends, the light of God is the promise of God to you that he will never leave you or forsake you and the good work he's begun in you, he will bring it to completion. Friends, when you cannot see God, rest assured, God can see you and God is holding you tightly. And no matter what Satan throws at you, no no matter what fiery darts he shoots at you with those grappling hooks that try to grab you and pull you under, God has got you by his mighty right hand and he he will never let you go. Your confidence is in the God who has begun a good work in you and has promised to bring it to completion. And turning to our church right here, Turning to our church right here, we are on a mission to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the good work God has corporately begun in us. He has saved us and brought us together to go and work the fields, as Bert was directing us to pray for earlier. To go and make disciples of Jesus Christ. But man, this is hard work, isn't it? I mean, just think about your experience evangelizing lately, or your lack thereof. Why? Because it's not easy. God did not leave us an easy job. Evangelism is hard work. And 2020 and 2021 have just made it harder because everybody's all prickly and offended easily now and everybody's hiding in their homes and it's just hard. So what do we do? What's our hope? We get our act together, let's get a new plan, let's get a new program. Let's have some new initiative. Let's hire an evangelist. Let's get that new building. We'll get it really nice and it'll be big and beautiful and we'll be able to say, come on into our cool new place. Or maybe we can get a building right into the midst of a neighborhood and we'll be able to say, come on in, right? We're right over down, we're a block away, come on. Listen, God may call us into all those things and they are all good things. They can be, God can use any of those things. But here's the thing, none of them is our confidence. None of them is our confidence. Our certainty is in the Lord of the harvest. Our confidence is in the captain of our faith. Our assurance in this mission is that God who began this partnership in the gospel, God who began this participation in making the gospel known, God is gonna bring it to completion. God is gonna lead us on. God is gonna help us sow the seeds of the gospel in the hearts of the men that he is gonna bring to flourish. God is gonna draw men to himself. God is gonna gather from this field. God will complete the work he has begun in us. Friends, that is our only hope, and it is all our confidence in the great mission of making Jesus Christ known. All right, God's gracious and sovereign works produces partnership, it produces confidence, and then finally and quickly, it produces anticipation. Number three, anticipation. Paul is forward-looking in this passage. He is looking ahead. His eyes are on the future. 
but not the immediate future. Paul is looking way out there. He says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the last, or on the day, at the day of Jesus Christ. So Paul's got a lot to say in the rest of this epistle about all the work there is left to do right now. There's still good and holy work to do, but oh my my, he's saying, oh my my, the day that is coming, oh get ready for that. Oh set your eyes on that great day that is coming. You see, we're waiting for the day when the king will come again. We are waiting for the day when Jesus will gallop out of the clouds with angels singing all around. We're waiting for the day when he will gather us in the shadow of his wings. We are waiting for the day when we will lift our voices with the song of the redeemed, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. We're waiting for the day when the angels standing around Christ's throne and around the elders and the four living creatures will all fall on their faces before the throne and worship God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. Friends, we are waiting for a day and what a glorious day we are looking forward to. What a great day is coming. A great day when Jesus will wipe away every tear from our eye and death shall be no more. After these last two years, death shall be no more and neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things will have passed away. What a day we have coming. A day when there'll be no more working of the fields because the church militant will be welcomed into the triumph of our king. It's the day of Jesus Christ. And here is our rock-solid confidence. Our Lord is gonna get us there. Our God is gonna get us there. He has already gone before us to prepare a place for us, and our God is gonna get us there. And that's the day we can fix our eyes upon. What a glorious day is coming, is it not? What a glorious day is coming. But we're not there yet but we're not there yet. There's a great day coming. We have a lot to look forward to, but we're not there yet, which means we're not completed yet. We're not done. All you need to do is look in the mirror, right, and realize we're not done yet. God's not done with us yet. There is more that he is doing in our midst. We are presently a work in progress. I don't know if you've heard uh, Ruth Bell Graham, Billy Graham's wife. Have you ever heard what she had written on her tombstone? I love this. End of construction. Thank you for your patience. Isn't that a great inscription for a tombstone? End of construction. Thank you for your patience. That's a good and healthy mindset. We're all just under construction here and now. And so this church, we're well aware. We don't have it all. We don't have it all together. We're not perfect here. 
There are things we are not that we ought to be, and there are things that we're not doing that we ought to be doing. We know this. But here's the thing. If you focus too much on all that we're not, or all that we get wrong, if you focus on that, here's what's going to happen to you. You're gonna get depressed about this church. And then you'll get depressed about the next church, and the next church, and the next church. Regularly focusing on what we aren't yet, and what we're not doing that we ought to be doing, is only going to discourage you and it's always going to bring you down real fast. We are a work in progress, and so we've gotta have patience with each other. This church is still under construction. As I've said before, we're not a museum of saints here. We are a hospital for sick people. So there's a lot we need to grow in. There's still a lot we need to become, but you know what we have? We have a great and precious promise that God's not done with us yet. We have a great and precious promise that what God began in us, God will bring to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Are we weak in evangelism? Yes, but God's not done with us yet. Do we need to do more to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yes, but God's not done with us yet. Is there more we can do to care for one another and be sensitive to each other's convictions? Yes, but God's not done with us yet. Is there more we can grow in, in holiness and love, in excellence and discernment, in endurance and suffering? Yes, but God's not done with us yet. God is at work in our midst and focusing on God's ongoing work in us. You know what that does to you? Oh baby, that changes your mindset. That makes you humble. That makes you patient. That makes you thankful. That fills you with joy and with hope. And focusing on God's gracious and sovereign activity in our midst, well that gives you confidence. God is at work in us. So in conclusion, and having said all that I've just said, even though we are still a work in progress, I still think there's a lot to be excited about here. I still think there's a lot to be excited about here. There's much to look forward to, even in our near future. But come what may, and come whatever mistakes we make, and faults we have, and failures that plague us, Friends, we can be certain of our future fruitfulness. We can be confident of our future fruitfulness, not because of our ingenuity or because of our own human ability, but because of the godness of our God, because of the gracious and sovereign activity of our God. This is the foundation of our joyful confidence in the partnership we have together in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, that what God has begun in us, God will will bring to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. God's not finished with us yet. There's room for us to grow. There's good work for us to go and do. So let's go in the Lord and let's grow in the Lord because God's not done with us yet. Let's pray. Well, God in heaven, Lord, we are so thankful that you are faithful to sinners like us, Lord. Gracious to save us and faithful to us. 
Thank you for this precious promise that you are not done with us yet, but that you are at work, Lord, and we, all our hope, all our confidence, all our joy is rested on you and your work, Lord. So I pray, give us eyes to see the things that you are doing here and help us to join with you in them, Lord. And God, we ask in this season of multiply that you would give us a heart like your own heart for the lost. God, some of us, many of us, certainly me, need to have a softer heart for those who do not know you, for those who are lost. God, I just trying to picture neighbors of mine who do not know you. And what a difference it would make. The joy in their life and the hope they would have. If you would save them. God, give us a heart to share the gospel of Jesus Christ for the love of those who are lost and for the glory of your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.